I'd like for you to turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. As we continue in our series, not about the Jesus on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel, not about the Jesus that a lot of times we kind of make up in our head the way we would want Him to be, but the Jesus we need. That's the one who shows up on earth in reality and is represented through the Word of God. That's the Jesus we need. John 5 1 through 17, and this is the very sufficient and inerrant Word of God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic, which is called Bethesda, which has Five roofed colonnades. And in these colonnades lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up. Get up. Take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he stood up and took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked, Who was this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Right in the middle of this story, Jesus asks one question. He asks one question, and, and at first glance, it, it kind of feels like a maybe a needless question. Maybe it's one of those questions that if you just looked at it and and didn't really think very deeply about it, you'd say, that that just has some super quick answer like, uh, of course, or who wouldn't? And the question that Jesus asks is verse 6. Do you want to be healed? Literally, the word means this. Do you want to be made whole? 
Now, people knew who this man was. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't see the same person usually in the same place just kind of in your normal life, you're, you're kind of out and about and you maybe see a, the one, the a person here and maybe you run into them again over here just as you're out and about. But every time you went through what was called the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem and, and, and walked into the city, there was a pool called Bethesda with five colonnades and porches. And you had seen him. If you had walked through there, and, and, and you know that sheep gate, that's a, that's a thoroughfare. That's a main gate. Yeah, you, you knew who this man was. He had been crippled, we learned, for 38 years. And, and we imagined that he had been sitting on this mat every day for a long, long time. And, and as you unconsciously studied him, every time you walked by... You knew him a little bit better. You could recognize him. You could talk about him. If you're an artist, you might even be able to draw a picture of him. It's kind of like today if, if there was a homeless man standing at, on the side of a stoplight that, that you have to go through on your route to work every single day. And, and he's there every day, every morning. Every afternoon when you come home with a sign saying homeless need money. And uh, after a few weeks, you have memorized that man. Whether you want to or not. Maybe you feel for him. Maybe you roll down your driver's side window and you stuck a dollar bill out. Maybe you just tried not to look at him, but you know him. You know him. Well, I want you to know in Jerusalem, people knew the contours of this cripple. They knew exactly who this person was. And the text says that there were loads of people with all kinds of infirmities that were under these five porches by this pool. But Jesus walks through the sheep gate. Jesus walks into the area of the pool of Bethesda. And he walks right through the, the crowded floor, right around all of these people who are invalid, steps, literally steps around them, and heads straight to this man who is sitting on his mat, and we assume is a beggar by trade. And he asks him that question. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Now, we need a little help from the New King James Version to understand that the man that we find on this mat is a disappointed man and kind of a broken man. And I want you to listen to the explanation from the New King James Version. And these lay, in these, these, these places, these porticos, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed Waiting for the moving of the water. So in, in the New King James Version, we're going to kind of learn a little bit more about this. Don't make me explain the difference in the versions right now. Waiting for the moving of the water, for it was believed that an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. And whenever someone stepped in first after the stirring of the water, he would be made well of his disease. When Jesus saw him lying there, I continue to read from this version, when Jesus saw him lying there, 
and knew that he had already been there in that condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And every time I'm coming there, someone cuts in front of me. Someone steps down there before me day after day, year after year. And he is disappointed. He is always wanting, but never quite having. I'm sure nobody struggles with that here today. Always wanting, but never quite having. And you know, as a pastor, and as a a very um, intentional observer of people, I think a part of my job is to be a very careful observer of people. I have noticed that one of the main mindsets of people today, even though we have more than anybody in the human race has had, one of the main emotions, one of the main mindsets is disappointment. And people are just kind of living in disappointment. Similar to that man, if I could just get to the pool, then, you know, it might look like this today. If I could, if I could just have blank, if blank would just happen for me, then I would be whole. Then I'd be healed. You can fill in the blank for your own life. It could be about money. It could be about a job that you want or didn't have. It could be about the status that you crave, that once everybody realizes how great you are, then you're going to be happy and fulfilled and whole. could be about sex. could be about your perfect children. When, when, my, when my children are perfect and everybody sees that my children are perfect and what a great parent I am, then I will be could be about your sports team. When we win the national championship, then I will be. But until then, whatever it is, you just filled in the blank. You're just living disappointed. And Jesus would say to you this morning, that's no way to live. And you don't have to live disappointed. I read an article recently about what the author calls our hunger for an elusive wholeness that we are paralyzed waiting for. That author has no clue just how well that statement matches up with this text. Just kind of this elusive wholeness that we're just paralyzed waiting for. Jesus steps in to give healing, to give wholeness. It's the same today. You know, Jesus is walking amidst the candlesticks of His churches today. Do you know that the Spirit of Christ is here and God is inhabiting our praises? And God is with us, the the, the resurrected Christ, and through His, His Holy Spirit, same today, Jesus finds us right here in our disappointment. Jesus finds you right here in your search for meaning. And Jesus wants to be Lord of our disappointment. And he's asking the same question here today through the Scriptures, and he's asking it through my vocal cords right now. 
and my mouth and, and your ears and hopefully into your mind and, and, and even more hopefully into your hearts, do you want wholeness? Do you want to be healed? Do you? So I want to look at this passage as a way to to think through the question that Jesus asked. And I'd like to look at it through an idea that kind of flows out in the text. And, And here's the idea, that healing has its consequences. I'm going to say that again. Healing has its consequences, and that's precisely why not everybody wants it. Things have to change if you're healed. So I want to kind of look at three consequences of healing as you ponder this question, do you want to be healed? Consequence number one, you must be willing to walk into change with Jesus if you want to be healed. That sounded scary, didn't it? You must be willing to walk into change with Jesus If you want to be healed, and not everybody wants to do that, Christ looks at this man, he awaits the answer to the question, and the man says, Sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool, you know, when when the water's stirred up, somebody always cuts in front of me. Jesus doesn't say, I'll get you into the pool the next time the angel stirs the water up. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, get up. It's amazing. Get up. Right now. Stand up. Take your mat or your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, we read in verse 9, and he took up his bed and he walked. I mean, Jesus just healed him. And we're not shocked when we read that because that's what he does, right? We say that about that's what he does. Well, let me tell you, they were shocked that day when Jesus healed that man that they had been watching for years and years be unable to get himself to that pool. It was Shocking. But I want you to notice something about this healing command of Jesus that is really interesting. You would think Jesus would say this. Get up and walk. Just get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. Maybe he dances. He does that in other places, right? He didn't say that. He says, get up. Listen to this. Pick up your bed and walk. Walk away. And they're going to find him in a whole different area in the temple later. This is important because Jesus is basically saying this. Get up, take your bed, and never come back to this place where you've been sitting and never sit on that mat ever Again, you're not going to be a beggar anymore. You're about to walk into a brand new life. Now get up and walk. And once the man was healed, verse 9, and he took up his bed and he walked. Maybe we could say he walked away. Do you want to be healed? It means you just can't sit there in your disappointment anymore. You must be willing to take a step with Jesus And he can bring healing. But let me tell you, if that disappointment in your life has become an identity, you might not really want to walk away into newness of life with Jesus. 
One scholar states, and I want you to remember that the average lifespan of somebody in this time was in the 40s. I mean, people obviously lived longer and people lived shorter. One scholar states, a beggar in the ancient Middle East who was healed would have to leave behind his income and go find a job, meaning his whole identity was about to change, his whole life, his relationships, his responsibilities, everything was about to change. And if this man had been invalid for 38 years, didn't say he was born with it, this man might be like a, you know, an extreme senior citizen on that map. And Jesus says, time for a whole new life. Get up and go find another job. Get up. You're going to have a better life. We can understand why maybe somebody in that condition at the end of their life might say, no, you know what? No, I'm just, just kind of know how this works. This is kind of the way it works for me. Gina pointed me to an article some weeks ago. Um, Lori Ferguson Wilbert, it was from a, a blog that she was reading, and I wrote it down, quote, we must be careful that our disappointment doesn't become our identity, because when that happens, we no longer want wholeness. Listen to this. We would rather have pity and recognition of our hurt. Man, do I hear that. I demand recognition of my hurt. I demand pity. I remember this story that I heard years ago, and I, I was just blown away when I heard this story. It's a story about this incredible woman who every week in her Sunday school class, when they'd have prayer request time, she'd raise her hand and they'd say, Macy, what, what, what is your prayer request today? It'd always be the same prayer request. It'd always be the request for her drunken, addicted, pagan, unhappy husband to get saved. And um, he never went to church. She was always there alone. Every time the doors opened, she was there. And uh, man, what a godly woman to carry the burden of him. What an amazing woman. Well, the preacher got tired of hearing it and went and saw the man and shared the gospel with him. He was converted. And he was committed to taking a step and then another step. He was committed to walking into change with Jesus. He was committed to the church. He wanted to learn how to love his wife for the first time in his whole marriage. He, get rid of, he got rid of the bottle. He, he found a job. He's at the church smiling every time the door opens. He is there. And a little while after this, she divorced him. It's a true story. She divorced him. She didn't know who to be without being an alcoholic's wife. It took away her identity for Jesus to heal her husband. It took away her victimhood. Boy, we love us some victimhood in 2018. I googled a line that I kind of halfway remembered. From a movie that we watched recently, the movie was called Last Chance Harvey. Please, if you ever watch a movie that I recommend and there's some little bit of scene or something, just fast forward. Don't say the pastor gave us this movie. Um, 
The movie's called Last Chance Harvey, and the, the female lead is played by Emma Thompson. And she is terrified of a relationship with Harvey, Last Chance Harvey, who's played by Dustin Hoffman. And they are both middle-aged, kind of on the maybe the middle or older side of middle-aged, and, and they both got these really burned-over lives. He has had a divorce that he didn't want. His wife divorced him because she basically thought he was a loser, didn't make enough money. And she's been hurt, hurt, like really hurt, the few times that she's tried to love. And, and at, at the end of the movie, Harvey asks her if she would allow him into her life. And she refuses. And she's British, and he's American, so blustering like Americans do. He says, I want to know why. And basically she says, I just can't take the risk. And here's the, the real quote, word for word. I googled it, it's word for word. She says to him with tears in her eyes, I think I'm more comfortable with being disappointed. I think I'm angry at you for trying to take that away from me. Do you want to be healed? That's not a crazy question. That's not just some quick automatic answer question that Jesus Christ, walking around all these people to this man, asks him while he's on his mat. That's not a crazy question. You might not really want to be healed of being hurt and disappointed with people because as a victim, it's clearly your, their fault, rather. It's clearly their fault that you're an emotional cripple and you will tell them every day that it's their fault. You wouldn't know what to do if you had to take emotional responsibility for your own life. Before God. Now, I don't think I really want to be healed. You might not really want to give up an addiction. Man, that, those are hard. You might not want to get well, well, like physically well, and lose the attention and pity you have from others because of your sickness. You might not really want your marriage to be healed. Because it'll just simply take away the opportunity for you to always be right. And you're just not sure you can live without always being right. You get my point with this? The good news here today is though, though the man would have to get up and take up his bed and literally move away. Walk into a new life. It would be a new life with Christ and he would only have to take one step at a time. And I want you to know that. You only have to take one step at a time. You know, it's like uh, in premarital counseling, I say, let, let, me, let me just give you a, let me just relieve your mind to these people that have never been married before. You're not supposed to know how to be married. We're going to give you some biblical truth and you're just going to like, day one, you're going to like, no, day one's worth. And then day two, you'll know day two's worth. Can you handle that? Really? Yes! But this is something Jesus is calling into. And just some Jesus is going to, is going to help you take one step at a time. And, and so Jesus can give you the courage to want healing. And He can give you the faith to just take a step. So the first thing is, consequence of healing, you must be willing to walk into change with Jesus. That's what, what the question's about. Second consequence, and this gets very interested, you must enter the conflict of grace. 
And this is about how everybody's not happy when you're healed and free. This is about a non-acceptance that comes from majoring on externals and you not being acceptable to somebody because your externals don't line up with their expectations. This is literally about stealing our freedom in Christ. And that's the next part of the passage. The Pharisees react to the healing of this man. Are they happy that the man's healed? I don't think so. They don't say anything about the man, you know, about the man, to the man about the man. They don't say congratulations. They don't say we're so happy for you. No, they completely disregard the newfound wholeness of this man and I'm sure his uncontainable joy and they crack down on him for stepping outside of their box. Outside of their rules. And I want to emphasize the words their rules. You see, by the time of Jesus, the group of people who were known as the Pharisees, boy, they loved the Word of God, and they were the people that took the Word of God seriously, like believed the Word of God was actually the Word of God. So we'll give them that, right? But you know, their problem was they took the law of God, this beautiful thing called the law, and they added thousands of laws to it. And they wrote them down, and they wrote them down. In fact, they're written down still today. The Mishnah and the Talmud are the written thousands of rules if you just want to look it up and start reading what you're not supposed to do. You had to, you know, just going, they went so far beyond the Scriptures, just, just obeying the Bible wasn't enough. You, you had to do what they wanted you to do, the way they wanted you to do it. To be acceptable. That's what's happening here. I love what my friend Derek Thomas writes about this passage. Here's a man who has been healed after being crippled and paralyzed for 38 years. And the Jews of Jerusalem can only think of one thing. It's the Sabbath. You see, they had written a book on the Sabbath. And it was called The Sabbath and How Not to Break It. But Jesus was writing right before their eyes another book, and it was called The Sabbath and How to Enjoy It. Those are two radically different books, aren't they? I continue. The book they had written said in chapter 4, paragraph 6, section 15, subsection 347, no mat carrying on the Sabbath. That is not what the Old Testament said. Far from it. Interestingly, this is the beginning of the case that the Pharisees will make against Jesus in order to have him killed. If you want to know when the persecution starts, if you want to know when the case begins to be made, you don't have to look any further than right here. He is healing on the Sabbath, a willful lawbreaker. Certainly can't be the Messiah if he breaks the laws. Verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now. He's never stops working. My Father's working until now and I'm working. Basically just doing what my Father wants me to do. And you can just get out of my face with your man-made rules. And if you think that's a little 
over the top, that last statement, write down Matthew 23 and go read the seven woes to the Pharisees. You can just get out of my face with your man-made rules. I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, Jesus said. I've come to fulfill, for verily I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle shall be removed from this law till all be fulfilled. Oh, Jesus loved the Word of God. Jesus loved the law of God, just not these thousands of things that other people added to it. Oh, Jesus loved church. Don't you get into this, I'm a Jesus person, I don't have to go to church. No, Jesus came up to the feast. That's the first thing we read in this. Jesus, it was a feast in Jerusalem. Every time the doors were open, Jesus was there. Jesus loved church. Jesus loved the Word. Jesus preached the Word. It's all this stuff beyond the Word that Jesus hated. Matthew 23, read it. And the healed man, guilty. Guilty of being a furniture mover. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You know, the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do like your vocation on the Sabbath. On, the, on, on that day, the Lord rested, and you get to rest. That's a great gift. You get to rest, you get to worship, you get to do acts of ministry, you get to fellowship with God's people. All this stuff about you can't lift something heavy. All this stuff is like you got to walk, but walk slowly. Don't get your heart rate up too much. I mean, what is this? Just stuff we add. Guilty. Moving furniture. Moving his mat, his bed on the Sabbath. Now that day, verse 9, was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to him, uh, to the man that had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered, the man told me to. <laughs> Here's the point. Jesus brings a joy and a freedom that some will try to steal from you. And we must fight to stay free. And we are free to serve him well out of love and out of a deep sense of gratitude according to his word and not all this extra stuff right there in the midst of His redeemed church. We're free to live those lives. It reminds me of Galatians 2, 4, and 5. Some false believers, this is Paul speaking, some false believers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on your freedom. To spy on the freedom you have in Christ Jesus and to make you slaves again. We did not give in to them for one moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Is Jesus controversial? Yes. He was controversial right there at the sheep gate, and he is controversial today. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, and if you want to be healed and walk in the freedom and the joy of Jesus' healing, welcome to the fight. We must follow Jesus in freedom according to the word in his church. So, you must be willing to take a step. With Jesus. Secondly, you must be willing to join the conflict of grace. But lastly, consequence three, you must be willing to live and grow with the broken church. 
Verse 14, after Jesus found him in the temple and, and said to him, after, after, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well, you're whole. But then he said, Sin no more, that nothing worse will happen to you. Wow! You'd think he would just say, You're well, give me a high five. You'd think he would just congratulate him. That's not all he does. He says, you know something? You're well now. And you're not accepted. We can infer by the Pharisees, you're accepted by me. But now you've got to grow. Now you've got to grow. Now you've got to leave these attitudes. Now you've got to leave this, this sinful stuff that, that, that identifies. time to walk away. He not only belongs, he needs to grow. Jesus welcomes sinners. And his church should as well. The Pharisees didn't accept this man, but Jesus did. And Jesus wants us to accept him too. And that comes in handy for you because you are that man. And I am that man. We are to grow in grace with one another. You ready for this? While not accepting our real sins. Please understand this. We are to celebrate God's grace. We are to celebrate the healing that He gives to us. We are to grow and not accept our real sins. We are to grow in grace in a community of the broken who are being renewed after the image of God in the whole man. Just growing together. Matthew Henry declared in his commentary, and I love this, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he did not come to the palace. He came to the hospitals. Don't you love that? That's what the pool of Bethesda was. It was where all the invalids were. He came to the pool of Bethesda. Jesus said in Luke 5, I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. People that don't think they're sick obviously don't need a doctor. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. And that is good news for you this morning if you are a mess. And we can't see it, but you are. I didn't say in every area of your life you're a mess. Oh, man. There is so much wrestling and struggling per square inch in this sanctuary this morning. We would be shocked to know the truth about the struggles of our lives. That's good news if you're a mess. And if you are, come live and grow with this beautiful, broken church. You know one of the things I love about Highlands? We have a very strong grasp on the theology of the fall of mankind. And we understand that we are sinners that need grace. And we understand that what we don't need to do is isolate sinners. What we need to do is put our arms around sinners. What we need to do is to, under the Word of God, in the church together with love, with care, with confrontation, when necessary, help us grow, help each other grow in grace. So if you're a mess, you can come join the rest of us who are and live under grace, and 
fight for grace, and help each other take another step together. So let me ask you Jesus' question one last time. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed? Jesus can heal you and grow you in His church. And it's a place for people like you and like me with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're filled with gratitude. You must have walked by a lot of people to get to us. There's still a lot of people out there that don't know about you yet. They don't, they don't know that you died to take away the, the blockage that we have between us as sinners and a holy God. They, they don't know that you rose from the dead to give us new life. But you did. And even this morning, if you've never put your trust in the real Jesus, and you see it, and you just don't want to do this on your own. You don't want to remain in your disappointment any longer. Just pray with me. Lord, I see it. And I, I want to turn from all this religiosity. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, in you. In what you've done. I want you to come into my life. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you as my Father, God. I need for you to lead me just another step. And another step in the acceptance of Jesus, and therefore the acceptance of the body of Christ. But Lord, as Jesus is here with with us by the Spirit this morning, You have found us, each of us in different dimensions of our lives, in search of meaning. You have found us living in disappointment. God, Would you give us the courage to want to be healed? And would you give us the faith to look to you for our healing and to take a step with you? And thank you that that doesn't have to be an ethereal, just spiritual step. That can be a literal step with your church, in your church. Would you help us to put our arms around one another And under the Word of God. And in the beautiful, broken church. Would you make us whole? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.